Well, welcome to episode 30 of the Way Niagara podcast. We have been doing this for almost a year now. We have hit 30 episodes, and we are so glad that you are joining us for the ride. Whether this is your first time tuning in or you have been with us for the past 30 episodes, welcome. We hope that our time together will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. A little bit later on, Steve will be joining us to continue in our conversation on James chapter 2. But for now, Chris, why don't you introduce us to our guest? All right. I'm here today with a friend and shared family member, Tamara (laughs) Bodding, who is uh, I've known for many years now. Um, She is the sister-in-law to my cousin, Michelle. I think I I got that correct. I, yes. Yes. And so I've got many, uh, had many opportunities to kind of get to know Tamara and hear some of the incredible things that she's doing uh, to contribute to her community, our community, to the communities around us. And uh, so I invited her today to kind of just uh, share what she's up to. Uh, I think you're going to really enjoy hearing more from Tamara Body. Hi, Chris. Thank you. And uh, Jordan, thank you both for having me on today. I appreciate it. Oh, I, I'm so delighted to have you here. Um, first off, I kind of wanted to share just, you know, you are an author. And this is kind of the thing like a lot of people are learning about you and they're just like, their minds are blown that you've written four books. Uh, so far, yes. I've got four books out and uh, hopefully two more are on the way for 2024. So, so your very first book, or at least I believe it is Unfrogged, right? Yeah, that was the first one. So I've been along for the journey so I can kind of track. So <laughs> Unfrogged was kind of like a, a was it self-published? So um, I am published through Pandemonium Publishing House, mm-hmm. and uh, that is kind of a kind of a hybrid publisher. Um, originally started in Hamilton. Um, obviously, with the COVID nineteen pandemic, it got a lot more. Um, we didn't necessarily need to have a brick and mortar. We never did right. have like an office or anything like yes. that, and it just became a lot more um, online. And so, yeah, I'm with with Pandemonium Publishing House. I was traditionally published through them, so that means that. Um, the publisher had a lot more, um, I'm going to say control or influence or, or decisions as far as, um, you know, the illustrators that were used, Mm -hmm. the printer, the publisher, that's, um, the, um, uh, excuse me, the editor, that sort of thing. Um, but Pandemonium also does offer self-publishing help. So if somebody decides that they want to publish, but have a lot more control over the project, um, then the company can absolutely help with that as well. So as someone who owns an OG copy of uh, Unfrogged, tell us about like the, the cover of the original book and the process of, of updating that to what you have now. Yeah, so um, the original cover of the book was actually illustrated by my older brother, Christopher Bodding, who is just a phenomenal artist. Um, he was able to do the design on that one. It was really cool to be able to bring him along for... Um, for the initial run of the project Mm -hmm. and um, yeah so we had Unfrogged was published in 2017 and uh, it had been out for a little bit and it wasn't quite getting the traction that um, the publisher wanted to see with that book so Mm -hmm. she decided to um, do a new edition and so with that she um, decided to go with a different illustrator to do an updated cover and some more artwork on the inside. So that's that's sort of what I was saying before about mm-hmm. um, when you go with a traditional publisher relationship, um, 
they are ultimately the ones who get to make decisions like that. And not to say in any way, shape or form that I was, you know, against the decision. It was, mm-hmm. um, we, we did try a second cup, a second cover with Christopher doing the artwork for it. And that one also just, it didn't, for whatever reason, quite catch the, uh, the audience as we were hoping. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the one that's out now is actually the third cover for mm-hmm. it. Um, and that one seems to be getting the traction that we were hoping for a little bit. And what would you say like the target audience of that book is? So that one is really from about nine years old and up. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the junior high market. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's funny cause I've had a few people who are much, much older. Um, like I've had people who are, you know, they bought a book because they wanted to support me when I was starting out. And, uh, so I've had people in their forties, fifties, sixties and beyond, um, actually reach out to me and they're like, yeah, I bought it to like support you, but I read it and it was actually, I really liked it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm in so, that, I'm in that camp for sure. Oh, thank you. I like, mean, I, I just, sorry, sorry to get you off there. No, I just, I remember, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis was saying how, you know, we love fairy tales when we're younger and then when we get older, we kind of realize that like we, we still love fairy tales. That's right. I'm paraphrasing horribly, but no, you nailed it. <laughs> we do love fairy tales. <laughs> Like, uh, nothing beats the hero's journey in a way, right? Like the, absolutely. you know, even the idea of the Odyssey or whatnot. I, I remember kind of like, you know, hearing that you were into writing your next book. Yes. So, um, I, so I did, uh, Unfrogged was the first one. Yes. Um, and then Pants was the second book. Yes. So that one is, um, it doesn't have a story. So it's kind of funny because people are like, oh, what's the story with this one? I'm like, well, it's not, it doesn't have one. It's more talking in general terms about um, these are the kind of pants that you might wear in a day, like your fancy pants and your cranky pants and Mm -hmm. ants in your pants. Mm -hmm. Um, So that one's more, uh, that one's a really good way to sort of talk to, um, talk to younger audiences, younger people rather about, um, different activities that you're doing and different emotions that you might have and how those can change throughout the day. Yeah. Like you would, ch- you know, change yeah. your pants or change your clothes. Yeah. You can also change what you're doing or you can change how you're feeling and it's not permanent. So it's a good way for parents to kind of talk to their kids about that. Yeah. I, I love that concept. Like just being mindful of what pants you're wearing even sometimes, <laughs> yes. you know, like uh, there's so many times where you come into a, something, uh, an experience and uh, you might be in the wrong position you're, because you're not quite aware of which pants you're wearing. All of a sudden you're blowing up or you're like, you're completely exhausted and have no emotional capacity or whatnot. I think it's so smart to have like, start that conversation young about like, let's be aware of how we're feeling, how we're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I remember uh, hearing someone say that you should, you should try to avoid making any big decisions when um, you're hungry angry, mm-hmm. lonely, or tired. Mm-hmm. And so the acronym there is HALT. Yes. And so it's just, it's part of that whole conversation around, I mean, I know that like in modern, uh, nowadays we, when we talk, it's it's common to say someone's hangry. And it's yes. like, we, we're doing a lot better when it comes to talking about our emotions and talking about yeah. where we're at. That's right. And so I think that's just really fantastic. Yeah, I'm glad that you were able to like write something that, I mean, I know... That you probably had your own nieces and nephews in mind when you were <laughs> you were penning that, maybe even your brothers and. Um, the my brothers were definitely uh, the inspiration for the third book that I mm-hmm. had come out. Um, so yes. that one is Big Bother Brother. Um, <laughs> that one is also a picture book, um, yes. and that one is. So I have five brothers. Four of them are older. One of them is younger, and. Um, 
it's I think a lot of kids who have siblings it's very easy to sort of feel like especially if you're younger and they're older that you just you feel like they get to you know ride in the front seat of the car before you and they get to pick the channel that you're going to watch hmm. back when we had channels. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> I'm showing my age. Um, oh, no, they still fight over the channels. It's just as a Netflix or as a Disney. There you, you go. Know that, right? Fair enough. Um, yeah, so I think that uh, that that interplay with our siblings yeah. is, you know, because yeah. that's kind of the first the first people are our own age, our first contemporaries that we have to learn how to live with. Hmm. Um, and so that's a really big that's a really important part of, of a child's development. If they yes. have siblings or cousins or, or friends in their classroom, that just how to interact with other people in a way that's um, positive. And as much as they might get on your nerves sometimes, you do ultimately love them. And mm-hmm. um, you would miss having them, not having them there. So now that we're like into the p- talking past the third book here, like, would you say the process of uh, writing and publishing has gotten easier because you know the first book was such a learning curve and then yeah I mean definitely the first book was um the biggest learning curve was I always thought okay once I write the book once I get it published that's sort of the big thing mm-hmm. um I did not realize and I, I should have how much marketing and how much mm-hmm. work you have to do after the book is published as far yes. as getting out there and yes. talking about your book and talking to other people and really making those connections sometimes in a very, very short amount of time. Yeah. Um, because if I'm at a, you know, a fair or a festival or something and someone walks by the booth, I generally only have like maybe a minute, mm-hmm. you know, not even, um, honestly, it's more like 15 to 20 seconds to sort right. of make that connection with someone and to really, um, connect with them enough that they're willing to stop and talk to me for a few minutes about mm-hmm. my books. And even then, there's no guarantee that they're going to buy it. Yeah, I've seen uh, the Pandemonium booth that you you represent <laughs> there. It has uh, quite a few uh, copies of books, not only written by yourself, but by other publishers, from which is really neat. Yeah. Um, if people were looking to encounter your, your booth and discover Pandemonium, what are ways that people c- c- could access Pandemonium or even uh, your published media right now, where can they buy it? Yeah, so um, my books are available on the Pandemonium website. Um, I should note that it is Pandemonium spelled P-A-N-D-A. Mm-hmm. Like panda. <laughs> like panda, like, like the animal. Yes. Um, that was, uh, that's a callback to the publisher's first book that was called Panda the Very Bad Cat. And that was about her real life cat. Oh, cool. Um, and, and the disaster that that cat uh, causes. Yes. So that's pandemoniumpublishing.com. That's right. And then um, my books are also available on Amazon, mm-hmm. and they are available through Chapters, Indigo, Backseat of My Car, if you happen <laughs> to stop me in a parking yeah. lot. I also want to ask you about your fourth book. Yeah. Because this is kind of like your newest, most recent one, yeah. and you're working on another, am I right? So I'll tell you a little bit about uh, Spoiled, Spoiled Rotten. Rotten. Yeah. yeah. So that one is, um, that one's also a novel, like a junior novel. So it's yes. about... It's about eight years old and up. Um, and that one is, again, talking about sibling relationships. Mm. So that one is a boy named Jack who has a new baby sister and um, everything has changed. So she's crying all the time and his parents can't spend the same amount of time with him as they did before. And he's very frustrated. So he actually decides to run away from home. 
And when he does that, he ends up in another world with an ogre. And he doesn't know whether or not he's going to be able to get back home again afterwards. Mm-hmm. So it's um, a little little bit of a spooky book to that one. That's Just, cool. So, yeah. I like that kind of stuff. I was raised with, like, Ghostbuster and that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, that little spookiness I like in a way. How long has Spoiled Rotten been out now? Uh, so Spoiled Rotten came out, oh, goodness, uh, start of the summer. Okay. So, so this is the most recent one. That's right. I just want to encourage listeners who are maybe thinking about uh, writing a book or feel like they have mm-hmm. something to say. Like, can you share just kind of a, like an insight of like how that process is? Because to me, it seems like to me that feels oops, very, very hard. Like it feels like something that's kind of like beyond my reach. How do you go from being like, I have a concept to being like, wow, I have a published book? Um, I mean, the biggest thing is write, Mm. you know, because you can't edit an empty page. And that's such a cliche to say in writing circles, but it's so true. Mm. Like, even if, um, you know, even if you hate what you've written, at least you've got something down on paper and then you can start to, you can start to chip away at it and you can, you can form it. If you can't think of how to start the book, then, um, you know, write a scene from the middle of the book and Mm. and work your way back or work your way forward. Like just just write. And the other important thing is to um, familiarize yourself with the genre and the age group that you want to write to. Hmm. So because I do write, um, I like writing for more of a younger, like a young adult audience. I do read a fair bit of the Mm -hmm. YA books. Um, They're good. They're great. (laughs) Um, To be honest, I really appreciate how in a lot of ways it's, it's a very simple, clean story sometimes Mm -hmm. where it's, a little bit more streamlined as far as like the good people and the bad people and Mm -hmm. and it's a little bit more um straightforward and straight cut and i know that the world's not always like that but sometimes it's it's nice to go into a place (laughs) where you see that it's true and yeah so ultimately just just write i think i truly do believe that everybody's got a story i do believe that um storytelling is um is just so intrinsic to who we are as people mm-hmm. you know think about it if you if something happens at work or if something happens at the grocery store you want to share that story that experience with your family and your loved ones and so um i think that storytelling is just something that we all naturally have and sometimes you end up writing it down on paper or you know on your computer or wherever yeah so, so now if you're listening to this podcast and you're from Haldeman County, and I know there's quite a few of you out there, and you recognize the name Tamara Botting. Why is that? Uh, so I am a journalist, and I have been, uh, I've been covering Haldeman County for uh, 16 years now. That's right. So, so you open your paper, <laughs> and you see articles written by Tamara Botting. It's the same as the Tamara Botting who authored these books. That's right. So, so you're doing that... You know, as your as your job, but you're also investing in the next generation. Now, what I want to know because mm-hmm. I'm I'm a story guy. I love just getting to know people's life stories. How did you? Because I'm sure you had all of these ideas. And as a writer and creative person myself, I I have ideas. But there's also the idea of like inspiration or kind of getting a start in just doing something. So could you tell us a bit about the history of how you started writing, both journalistically and, you know, for Mm. for young adult books? Like, how did the journey start? And also, were there any maybe mentors or encouragers in your life 
that helped either call that out of you or help kind of spur that on in the process? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was always, I always wanted to write ever since I was probably seven or eight years old. As soon as, as soon as I was old enough to sort of comprehend, hey, these books that I like to read, there's somebody who wrote them. Mm. And that was sort of when I decided, um, when I realized that I wanted to be a writer. And mm. that was always kind of the, oh, yeah, that's what I want. And so um, that was something that I just kind of kept on working on in the background. And um, when I was in high school, um, I was able to take a writer's craft class. Mm. And so my teacher in that class, Mr. Bruce, he was fantastic and and very encouraging and just did a lot as far as really encouraging me with my with my work and uh, um, my writing and just what I wanted to uh, the stories I was trying to tell there and then when I was also in high school I was able to do a co-op at the community newspaper where I ultimately ended up working and Mm. so it was um, the two kinds of writing were really connected just as far as learning how to write in a professional uh, sort of a journalistic sense and then also learning how to write creatively because they're a lot of the disciplines are the same even if the style is very different between the two kinds of writing Hmm. that's really interesting i never actually thought of that um i I definitely do like writing the fiction because i can just make it up and obviously when i'm a journalist (laughs) can't do that yes well no, can't do it. Cannot. Journalistic integrity is a thing, eh? It is. It is very much a thing. That's cool. Now, another thing that is a part of writing is having an editor. Yes. And one thing that we talk about around here a lot is mental health and our emotions. And having things that you write be edited <laughs> yep. and have people that have authority in and around your writing and the release of that writing can actually have maybe an emotional toll or it could be maybe difficult to get those kinds of things. So help me process kind of how you deal with, you know, feedback and, and editing in, in your writing journey. It's, it's tricky sometimes because there are times when, um, there are times when I write something, I'm thinking of an example right now when I, I had an article and I wrote it and I really, really liked it. I was really proud of how it had turned out. Um, and then I, I filed it with um, the one editor. And so there were, there were two editors who were looking at it. And the first editor who looked at it came back to me and said, you know, this is a great piece. It's, you should be really proud. It was really well written. And then another editor basically came and said, well, I decided to switch this around and put this chunk at the top and this chunk at the bottom and basically flip the whole thing on its head. And that was really tough because um, I did not like how the edit, I didn't like how the edited version was Mm. because that wasn't my intention when I wrote it. I had written it very intentionally the first way. But ultimately, um, as as you say, I had to I had to submit to that authority because ultimately Mm. that was the editor and that was the editor's call. Even though it has your name on it. Even though it has my name on it. So, and, and it's, that's what's tricky because ultimately, Hmm. um, that is something that you have to be willing to accept that sometimes when you're, when you're working in a creative field, you assume that you're going to have all of this creative license, but ultimately there are people who are higher up the authority chain than you Hmm. who do get to make those decisions. And that is their right. And that is, that is 
their position. Hmm. You know, it's one of those things where they... I appreciate the reasons why they chose to edit it the way they did and do what they chose to do with it, but I, I still preferred my version of it. Yeah, um, I get that. Yeah, so it was it was... It was tricky. That was that was tricky for sure. When it comes to my books, I am very very thankful uh, that Lacey, the Lacey Baker who owns the company, um, she is fantastic. And when it comes to collaborating on a project, um, she's she's great in that she will really <clears throat> excuse me. She will really listen. She will really um, when you know if I if I have something and I'm like okay this is. This is why I wanted to do it this way. Um, she's very open to listening and, and working with me, unless it's something that's, you know, cannot be, but, but we've never actually hit anything like that, where, it's, where she's had to hard pass on it. Hmm. So. Wow. Yeah. That's wild, like, hearing the whole journey, hearing the whole process. <laughs> it's like stuff I never thought of, eh? Like... And, and to be honest, stuff that I never thought of before I was in it. Yeah. So where do you see yourself? Like, what's your next thing? What's your next, you know, project? You know, I know you're you're a creative person like me. Like, you like to build. Like, is are you gonna do like more world building in the world of Unfrogged? Are you gonna, you know, I have so many. <laughs> that's that's always the big question. Yeah. Um, I I do admit when I, because I had wanted to be an author for so long, when it happened, I did have this now what mm. <laughs> you know and yes. that was that was really kind of jarring for me to sort of have that okay but now what what do i do yeah. now do i keep um do i keep doing this do i keep pursuing this and so i think that that's been um that's sort of been the next challenge is sort of figuring out okay what do i want to do next what's the next story i want to tell how do i want to tell it what mm. are the what are the themes i want to explore what are the um you know what are the characters if they're because you know, I think any any author will tell you they've got a couple of characters sort of rattling around in their head, and they're just trying to find the right story, um, the right way to tell that character's story. And so it's sort of like okay, who's next? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I honestly don't know, but I, I sincerely hope that I'm able to keep on writing and um, continuing on with both kinds of writing because I've actually found. Um, I found I, I love journalism and I love creative mm-hmm. writing both. And cool. they're just, That's really it's, cool. I love that I get to write for a living. Yeah. yeah I love that you do too. So. It really is a joy to read what you've written and you. to get to explore the world and be like, huh, I wonder if I can see a little bit of, you know, one of the, your family members <laughs> that I know and certain individuals. I think that's just kind of part of the fun of like being close to you. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like the stories are very good and very wholesome and come from a, a Christian background. And like, I think, you know, you might not be exploring like the faith side as much as, as you know, like a, a Christian author who's writing specifically about, you know, the Bible and whatnot, but like mm-hmm. the wholesomeness about what you're writing about is so important. Right. And I, yeah, I mean, there's, there are authors, there are Christian authors, and then there are authors who are Christians. That's right. They're different. Yes. But I think that ultimately, when we have the core beliefs, mm-hmm. those are going to reflect in whatever it is that we end up doing. Absolutely. And so, um, whether, with, whether it's music or whether it's, absolutely. you can be a Christian band or you can be a Christian who's in a band, but like the core of who you are comes through yeah. in your, your wholesomeness, right? And, <laughs> and the grace and mercy you show others, right? And, yeah. And I, and I mean, that's, that's what I'm ultimately hoping is that, um, 
that people will be able to, you know, be able to connect with the truths that I'm trying to put in this, mm-hmm. things about caring for your family, things yes. about um, trying to have good friends and to be a good friend, mm-hmm. trying to um, relate to each other on a better emotional intelligence level. Yeah, that's um, good stuff. And so hopefully that's what I'm, I'm able to achieve through this. Hey, it's, that's important business right there. Absolutely. Training people to be emotionally intelligent, I think, is, uh, is, a, is, a, is a, a trait that our villages need more. Like, you know, you need, yeah. you need training to understand emotional intelligence. You need training to understand just like your position in, in everything. Cause you know, if you're constantly looking up at all these great people and trying to figure out how do I relate to these great people, you know, you can get overwhelmed. Right. And I think that your stories come from such a humble place that they're incredible. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. I appreciate it. And I, and I think that that's, um, that's why stories speak to us so much. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think about how so many people, like, there's there's a reason why superhero movies are so popular and yeah. those stories have been so popular for, for literal decades um, because I think that stories are a way that we can kind of tell ourselves, like, hey, I can be as, you know, as... Uh, compassionate as Superman and I can be as um, you know as much of a protector as Batman and, mm-hmm. and whatever and I mean whatever the story is that that connects with you I think yeah. everybody's got stories and, and fictional characters that they they see and they see something in themselves that connects with them yeah. or they see something that they're aspiring to and either yeah. way if it's encouraging us to improve I think that that's why stories are so important absolutely and so in a room full of storytellers, I think uh, you're speaking to our souls here. So I uh, want to throw it to Jordan here. And just in the spirit of stories and fictional characters, mm-hmm. is there a fictional character that you really identify with? Oh, um, I think it's more so a fictional character that I aspire to. Hmm. Um, I I love Superman. I have always always loved Superman. Oh yeah. Um, you know I even before I was a journalist, but obviously that's a big part of it now. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Um, but I think I think what I have always appreciated about his character is he has so much um, strength, mm-hmm. and not just physical strength, but like so much compassion and so much humility and wanting to serve others. He, he could, because of, you know, the physical strength and because of the speed and all of that, he could absolutely dominate mm-hmm. and control mm-hmm. everybody and be a dictator. And, you know, obviously mm-hmm. there's comic books where they explore those kind of things. But, yes. I mean, I, I grew up watching the Superman animated series and the Batman animated mm-hmm. series, which yep. are classic. Oh, yeah, I can hear the theme songs in my head right I now. I know. They're so good. But yeah, I mean, especially like that was really the Superman that I grew up with. And in that show, he truly did just have so much compassion for for the people around him and so much humility, um, but also had, you know, had a good sense of humor about it and was Mm. like, Sometimes there were times when he was just like, okay, this is what we're dealing with. Okay, sure. This is what we're dealing with today. Sure. <laughs> and, I, and I appreciate that. I really yeah. do. Yeah, absolutely. So of all the Supermen, mm-hmm. who uh, is your favorite actor? Oh, that's tricky. I think mine is Dean Cain. I mean, 
Dean Kane was pretty fabulous, but right. I, I, I did love Tim Daly. But that, again, mm. it's the Superman, Batman animated series, right? That's right. So, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to have to go with him just because that is, that's the one that was really formative for me. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I'm so glad that you're able to come in and share it with us today. Just a glimpse of who you are. I mean, that's a very small parcel of who the Tamara Botting that I know is. But I want you, uh, you, you the listener, to really understand just the journey that it takes and the process that it takes to write, the, the creativity, and also to, to support Tamara and what she's doing. And, and if you, you're looking to uh, discover her books, you can just get them off her in the parking lot or you can get them uh, off Amazon. I love that. And I just, uh, I, I want to just say thank you for coming in today and, oh, and thank contributing. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate um, having the opportunity to come in and chat with you guys. Yes, we, we absolutely love you and adore you. So thanks for coming. Thank you. Well, wasn't that a fascinating conversation with Tamara? Well, now it's time to move on to our conversation continuing in James chapter 2. James 2 verse 20 says, Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Senseless person. That's a nice compliment. (laughs) Hurts a little. To learn that faith without works is useless. I feel like we can talk on this for like a long time, but it feels like a strong, strongly worded conviction coming our way here. Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credit to, credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. All right, we'll stop there for a sec. Senseless person. Are you supposed to respond to that? I almost almost feel like it's an admission of guilt in a way. (laughs) I don't know what to say at that point. Yeah. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son and elder? So let's just like quickly think about that story of Abraham, right? The great pilgrimage he makes to take his son to a place of offering to give up the son's life, Isaac. And instead, uh, when he's ready to plunge the knife into his son's being, you know, despite his son's protest and him saying, no, no, don't worry, God is going to provide. God's going to provide a sacrifice. God's going to provide. In that last moment before the dagger strikes to have the angel, you know, come in and be like, okay, your faith is good. Your works, you're showing me through your actions right now. You're serious about this. You're serious about your faith. And I feel like this is a good lesson for the church and for people listening to this podcast right now. I think that when it comes to God, there's almost like a trust bank account that each of us has. And the more things that we do that are good and positive and show him that we trust him and we put a little bit of ourselves into it, we invest a little bit of our time and our energy and our thinking into that, all of a sudden we start to get more opportunity to use that faith to serve, to do things that are a little bit more outside of the natural and move into that supernatural. And this is where I think it's important that we understand that the idea of faith without works, you know, you can have faith, but it's moving into like believing that, that 
what your faith is is real it's tangible and it has actions that are required because of that faith right and this is what we see here with abraham right he was willing to act and this is not a matter of and i've said this before but this is not a matter of god's love for us it is not a matter of even our salvation but it is a matter of saying that if we are going to say we believe Belief does come with action. Everything that we do in life is because we believe something, right? Like, so when I turned on the car to come here, I believed that my car was safe mm-hmm. and working properly to be able to come here. When I turned a corner, I believed there wasn't another car yes. that was about to hit me. The fact of the matter is everything that we do is based on a belief of something. And sometimes we do things based on what we see and things based on fact. Other times you do things based on faith. And what I do believe here is what James is calling us to is saying, hey, you believe, you have faith in what God did for you. Now act like it. Mm-hmm. Now live like it. Mm-hmm. Because that's going to... You know, we're, we're not talking about eternity in this sense. We're just, we're talking about the here and now. What does our Christian life look like while we're here in this situation, in this place mm-hmm. that we're planted? And so it, it is a test. Like, are we going to be generous because we believe that all of our needs will be provided for? Mm-hmm. Are we going to be kind because we believe that the Spirit is leading us to do something? Yeah. Or... Are we going to have a mindset of fear and apprehension that every time an opportunity comes our way, we make excuses to run away from those things? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Steve? Yeah. Uh, what I come to is that making this decision to follow Christ, we're aiming to be more like Christ. And I don't think you can do that without works following your faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's something we see time and time again through Jesus' ministry that He doesn't just walk by and tell everybody he's the wonderful Messiah, blah, blah, blah. We see him doing his works. He touches people and heals them. Hmm. He goes to the people and does things for them. And there's so many examples I could give. And I just find it's amazing that we see the disciples faltering in the same faith occasionally. When they're starting off, before they really start their apostleship. Yeah, I think there's a there's a key like theme that you're seeing here too. Like if you read kind of through 20, uh, landing kind of ending in 23, you see that you see kind of this like it's it, you're told that faith uh, without works is useless. So if you're not doing something to prove that your faith is real to you, you're you're not doing. Secondly, you see that faith was made complete and so scripture was fulfilled. So, and then. So, so first you're seeing like, okay, the, the completion of your faith, like to say, I am faithful to complete that statement, there has to be action. And then you see this, uh, another one here that says the action uh, of Abraham's belief is credited to him as righteousness, right? And like, that's kind of hearkening back to Genesis uh, 15, talking about like, there has to be a blood spilled towards righteousness, right? And then finally, so like saying like his faith actually, when he was willing to spill that blood, was counted to him as righteousness. And so provision of the ram 
for the sacrifice happened, right? With the ram whose horns are caught in the thickets. And then the kind of just finally to wrap that all up, it said that it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Wouldn't it be dope to be called God's friend? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like you can just kind of like, you can look at the language there and be like, okay, there's very clearly here painted out in this like four, four scripture um, passage that says like, hey, there's a very clear way of showing that you're a God's friend. It's by not just saying you have faith in him, but like living it walking it and even when it's like at a place where it could cost you something incredibly hard to give up like your son and god's not asking modern church to human sacrifice that was never a godly thing the idea of the story is the nearest and dearest thing to you is less important than god and I think that that's a hard thing for a lot of people, especially in ministry, because the nearest and dearest thing to a lot of ministers and church leaders is the ministry. So imagine being asked to lay that down in order to serve God better and to show your faithfulness. Hmm. Well, I just think back to conversations I've had about the future of the church and how and again what we're doing here with way is a lot of things that are very different than the way the church has been and one of my big fears as i was exploring these kinds of things a number of years ago was like well i've been setting up my life around the idea that ministry would also provide financially right and right there is a chance that in this model that's not going to happen that's right yep and so am I willing to do the thing that I feel like I'm supposed to do mm-hmm. and risk it not being the career I thought it would be? Or do I just go get the job that I know I could do because that's more convenient? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that, you know, obviously we believe that, you know, if, if, when, if and when we are able to pay those that are they're serving in certain roles like absolutely but i'm talking more about the thought of like are you willing to serve anyways mm-hmm. or is it just a means to an end yeah. to none, a paycheck none of us are looking for a job here no <laughs> <laughs> we're all here because this is so real to us it's such a huge calling and uh you know i think that's what gives it way an authentic characteristic right is that we're building relationship with people and even if there wasn't even like to pay for gas for someone to come to something like that person still would go to that thing like there there's no one we don't need to incentivize the calling that's here right it's it's already so rewarding to help people navigate the chaos and the turmoil of mental health also to create a space where those people can come in and worship and and feel unthreatened by the this the atmosphere of the church, right? That's more important than any paycheck to see people, you know, responding to God through us. And that's really what this passage uh, brings up. But then, if we like slide into twenty four, it says, "You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone." In the same way. Wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? 
For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now that is a very interesting uh, little block of scripture there. Saying, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Justified, right? We've been. I, this has been a concept that's been constantly kind of barraging uh, this church as we grow. The concept of justice and justification, okay? One of the most important things for us to keep in mind of ourselves is that human justice, okay, is, is that every single human being on this planet has just as much right to be here as you do. So every created being has just as much right to, to be on this planet as you do. And then to take that to the next step, they are all created in the image of God and have the dignity afforded to them by that. And I think that this is where the church in the past has really struggled is to give humans and, and individuals who don't look like them, don't smell like them, don't talk like them, don't think like them, any type of time of day, right? And so you want to talk about faith and works being dead. You know, we can talk a big game and say, hey, we're the church and we're doing these good things for our community. But when we have community members that we refuse to even look at, mm -hmm. wow, we've really failed, right? Look at Rahab, the prostitute. Come on, a prostitute's getting a shout out in the scripture, right? By James, the brother of Jesus is like, check out this prostitute's actions and her faith and her works. And then wrapping up the concept with, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. You can have a framework where there ain't no soul. You're just a bag of bones. Wild stuff. And very important for, for our listeners to recognize we're called to be just, to act with justice, to give an ear, to lend time to those who are struggling around us, but also to to lead that with mercy, right? We want to show them the mercy of Jesus in what we do. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly mm -hmm. before our God. That's right. And I've seen so many people struggle so much that we realize we are all people. We are all nothing on our own. Mm-hmm until Jesus steps in and allows us to be what he wants us to be. Mm -hmm. And that is incredibly humbling. Amen. As we close, I just want to acknowledge that this can be a difficult conversation. Because I know for me personally, I am one that is prone to deal with a lot of guilt over things that I have done in the past or maybe things that I haven't done. What I want to say very strongly here is we are not doing this to guilt you. We're actually doing this to encourage you and to propel you towards your future. We are not wanting to hold you in a place of guilt or shame about the past. We are trying to encourage you towards greater spiritual maturity in the future. And that we want to process with you. Again, we are not wanting to say that you have to do in order to be saved because our salvation and our eternity is based on the goodness of God, not based on anything that we can do. 
But in terms of Christian maturity and in terms of growing in our works and in our life following in the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, these are the kinds of things that are essential to our maturity and our discipleship. And if you are wanting to have deeper conversations about these things, we are not just voices talking on a podcast. We are pastors that care for you. And so if you want to reach out to podcast at wayniagara.ca or to any one of us individually, Chris at wayniagara.ca, Steve at wayniagara.ca, or Jordan at wayniagara.ca, it would be our pleasure to have a deeper conversation with you because it is our heart's desire and our goal to see you get closer to Jesus each and every day. And with that, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. Bye for now.